All right, there we go. News Talk 1110-993 WBT. Uh, this is Pete Keller. Sorry about the technical difficulties there. We are live at the uh, Union County Agriculture and Event Center. I keep wanting to call it the Agricultural and Arts Center. I don't know why. But uh, they, we are now, well, I mean, there are arts going on. There are culinary arts. They've they got the barbecue rolling. we got musical arts going. They've got uh, live music going, which is, I believe this was Southern Express. They played Wagon Wheel, one of my favorites. Village Green. Oh, they might actually have been up there. I don't know. Maybe it was a crossover. I'm not sure, but it's, it's all part of the festivities here at the 31st Annual Union County Crime Stoppers Barbecue. I already mentioned the barbecue. I already mentioned the live music. All right, but they're going to be doing the Law Enforcement Officer of the Year Award. They've got a bunch of local and uh, state and federal representatives as well. And it's going on until 6 o'clock tonight. So if you want some barbecue, come on down. Plates are 10 bucks a piece. And if you get here soon... Um, well, I mean, you can go. See, you, you can attend the festivities and the uh, presentation. You can get all the details also at UnionCountyCrimeStoppers.com slash BBQ. Uh, all right, so watching uh, the hysteria yesterday on <laughs> on uh, the, the 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 legacy media outlets of oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we're all going to die because the debt ceiling is not being raised when Democrats demand that we raise it, which I thought was kind of like an odd demand in the president in the White House. They're like, we're not we're not going to entertain any kind of uh, uh, any kind of negotiations, no concessions, no trade-offs like it's got to be a clean debt limit uh, increase. And that's it. And Republicans are like, well, we would very much like to see some, you know, efforts made at restraining the growth of the deficit and the debt because, uh, you know, if we keep just raising the debt ceiling, uh, we eventually will not be able to pay all of our obligations. And if we can't pay the obligations, then we're going to be in some really uh, big trouble. And so this was like the, it was all building up. I was watching this during the week and it was all building up to Thursday. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, Thursday. And then Thursday came and Thursday went and whoever didn't die from net neutrality didn't die yesterday. So I know I saw uh, the Fed chief or Secretary of Treasury. What is she now? Yellen. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's always Yellen. That's her name. So she said, we're going to have to do extraordinary measures. Ooh, extraordinary measures. And I was like, man, I don't know what that looks like. And then I read the stories about what the extraordinary measures look like. I read her letter. And it was just... We're doing some accounting stuff, some uh, bookkeeping, shuffling of some payments and repayments, and we're just going to move this stuff around. This is extraordinary, though. And uh, what it means for you and for me is, well, nothing, actually. We don't actually see any real effect of any of this back-of-house bookkeeping, shuffling, extraordinary measure. No noticeable effect. But, but... We get to have the uh, the catastrophe warnings all the way through June, which is, I mean, that's really the important thing here. I think, right, that we get to we, we get to have the panic porn going through June, uh, where we will get the constant drumbeat of you know reckless irresponsibility of the among the Republicans who won't uh, lift the uh, debt ceiling, and if we don't lift the debt ceiling, then we're all going to die. Again, those who didn't die from net neutrality. But here's the Here's the key, I think, is that you've got this uh, easy argument for Democrats and media, to, but I repeat myself, to make this easy argument, which is that we have divided government, and so now that means the Republicans are the reason why nothing is going
going to get done, which, frankly, I'm usually okay with because I'm a limited government type of person, and I think blocking bad legislation or initiatives is just as important, if not more important, actually, than passing laws and passing new programs and services. So I'm okay with obstructionists. I'm okay with uh, gridlock. I, I prefer it, actually. But this is a, a potent weapon in the arsenal for... Uh, for Democrats and the media, uh, and uh, they will use it. And they're already using it. Obviously, we're seeing it with the arguments over the uh, raising of the uh, the debt limit, which, you know, just a, from a personal standpoint, like if you uh, make an analogy with you and me and our home budgets, I have a home budget. Christy and I go over our budget every six months, make sure we're still, you know, on budget and we're not spending too much in different areas and we're looking at expenses and cost of eggs. It's now got its own line item, you know, in our budget. It's like $1,700. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it, it, well, almost. But anyway, so we have our budget. We try to keep pace with that stuff. And if you are spending more than you are bringing in, the answer is not to go get more credit cards for more debt so you can keep spending more. That's that's I mean, this is elemental. This is obvious. And I know that there are people like the modern monetary theorists, the MMTers, and they're like, oh, this isn't true. You're oversimplifying. We're not like a house. We're not like a personal budget. But yeah, the concept is still the same, right? The concept is still the same. It's divided government. I'm okay with stuff not getting done. I'm okay with there being a debate about the trade-offs of raising the debt ceiling and lowering spending. I'm okay with all of it. But the divided government argument is going to lead to more freakouts between now and June. So be aware of that. Now, before Republicans took over the House by the slimmest of majorities, but before that, they had the trifecta, right? They had the House, they had the Senate, and they had the presidency. So uh, from the party that promised us that they would be the adults in the room, right, they would be responsible stewards, what did they give us? What did they give us? We're going to take a look at that. Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here at the 31st Annual Union County Crime Stoppers Barbecue. It's in Union County. It's at the Ag Center here in Monroe. And uh, it's very nice, actually, driving down 74. Got to see uh, where Christy and I went on our first date at the O'Charlies. Um, uh, got to see the Monroe Mall. Union Plaza. It was great. And, uh, yeah, it was like a trip down memory lane. So uh, come on by, see us. We're out here uh, all day. Brett Winter will be, uh, will be here afterwards. And no, no, don't worry. We're going to do the Friday hangover. I'm going to hang around a little bit late, chat with Brett, and, uh, and then I'll sidle off into the Union County sunset. All righty, so uh, Michael Barone at the Washington Examiner, he wrote a piece the other day called What the Democratic Trifecta Hath Wrought. Oh, don't get turned off by the Shakespearean language there in the headline. It's very approachable. It's a very approachable piece. America has just exited a biennium of democratic trifecta. Okay, it's not that, that, all right, that first part, not so approachable. It, biennium, just two years, right? This is a two-year cycle. Democrats controlled House, Senate, and presidency. They you know, controlled by the nations and the world's oldest political party of the White House and majorities in the Senate and House. It's uh, only the third such two-year biennium in the last 40 years. 
controlled by a single party, 93-95, oh, or by the Democrats, I should say, 93-95, 09-2011, and uh, the first two years of the Clinton administration, the Obama administration, now this is the third time. Uh, it was a rare opportunity then for the party in an era going back most of a century, right, when divided government basically has been the norm, what we have right now. So how did they do? Well, macroeconomically, Barone says the verdict is... Mm, mixed. <laughs> a disappointing result for a party that once enjoyed a reputation gained in the 1930s for economic stimulus and redistribution. Right? Too much stimulus. Not enough of the redistribution, he says. One result was not just transitory, but persistent inflation. We got slower economic growth. We got male idleness, which seems correlated with increased substance abuse, physical and mental health problems, reduced life expectancy. By the way, I've got another piece on this in the stack of stuff um, about scarred boys and idle men, family adversity, poor health, and male labor force participation. Big study done about why men are not in the labor force, like to a like historical deficit. Never before have so few men been in the labor force. Um, so we'll get to that. But as for the redistribution side, economic gains in the Trump years were, for the first time in decades, they were actually greater in percentage terms for low earners than for the affluent. <coughs> Do you get that? So, redi- so redistribution, right, economic gains were greater for low-income earners than for the affluent. But that's now at risk. And in the next few years, if the hugely increased flow of illegal immigrants continues, encouraged by the Biden administration policies, that, that's going to result in newcomers, which undercuts Americans in the job markets. What else did the Democrats give us? Let's see here. Public school enrollment has fallen. Alternatives to standard and union-dominated public schools are actually thriving. So I guess thank you for that. College and university enrollment has been in decline. Public health agencies repeatedly disgraced themselves during the COVID pandemic. And no part of the public sector, he goes on to say at the end of this, it's a pretty lengthy piece, I've just given you sort of the, the bullet point highlights here, but no part of the public sector has been more grievously damaged than mass transit. I've talked about this over the last week. Charlotte's plan for its mass transit system. And they're like, hey, North Carolina, let us raise our sales tax so we can fund uh, you know, trains. And legislative leaders look at our plans and they're like, you're not doing anything for road congestion. More lanes, more roads. You're, not, you're just bike laning it. You're just light railing it. Like, what about the roads? And now this has everybody upset and concerned, like, oh my gosh, they're not going to give us the ability to raise our taxes on sales, which, by the way, I find this very comical. Like, every now and again, God lines up some issues, so you get real clarification on on political positions that people are taking, right? So, on the one hand, locally, we've got, hey, can we please raise the sales tax so we can fund our mass transit $13.5 billion uh, transportation plan? Please, 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 right? Then on the other hand, you've got this proposal up in the House in Congress uh, from the Republicans about the fair tax. And what's the argument against the fair tax? It's a consumption tax. It's regressive. And it's going to hurt poor people. 
well, wait a minute. So do the Charlotte leaders, do they not like poor people here? Is that So it's a regressive tax, but only at the federal level? Is that right? <laughs> Mass transit. So the Biden Democrats who came to power determined to show that government can solve problems. They've done quite a bit, actually, to prove the opposite. And this always kills me where I see and hear... Uh, People attack the Republicans because they say, you guys don't like government. You guys want small government. You want to get rid of government programs and agencies and services. Why would we put you in charge of the government when you hate it so? But if you guys are the ones that love government, how come you've done such a terrible job mucking it up here? Right? What? What's the deal? And also... How come you're never really interested in the waste, fraud, and abuse side of these government programs and services? It seems to me like if you really wanted government to, to be the best it could be, you would be the ones riding uh, herd on that the most. You would be keeping the most watchful eye on reckless spending. Because every, or, or fraudulent spending, or abuse, or uh, 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 you know uh, confidence games where money is being uh, defrauded, it seems like you guys would be most interested in that. Why? Because every dollar that is lost to waste or fraud or abuse is a dollar that's not going to fund the program that you said was vital. What's the deal with that? All right, so uh, maybe related, I don't know, every now and again I come across some stories, I put them in the stack of stuff, and then a day or two later another story will come along and I'm like, oh, that story is kind of connected, it seems, to this other story. So here's the headline. Another, this is a different piece at the Washington Examiner. Little blurb by Paul Bedard. Headline. More Americans identify as Republicans than Democrats. That's their truth. That's our truth. That's my truth. You can't, you, who are you to say? They're identifying as Republicans. For the first time in decades, more people identify as Republicans than Democrats, a striking change that bolsters polls showing that the U.S. is a moderate conservative nation. In the latest massive Gallup survey of 10,000 adults, 45% identified as Republicans, 44% as Democrats. Okay, so look, all right, don't get all cocky here, Republicans. You're only up by one point. It's only a one-point lead there. But that's the first time that they have had the lead since George Bush was president. No, no, not W. George H.W. Gulf War, 1991 time frame. That's how long, that's how long it's been since Republicans have had that edge. Uh, independents greatly outnumber Republicans and Democratic identifiers. In a related survey, the polling giant uh, Gallup uh, also said, moderate conservative nation, when asked to describe political views, 47% said, I'm a moderate yeah, 30% conservative, 21% liberal. It will revealed that the Democrats are more liberal than ever before. We'll get into that in a minute. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. At the uh, 31st Annual Union County Crime Stoppers Barbecue. Come on down. We got barbecue. We got live entertainment. We got awards. Like, literally, WBT, we got an award. I just saw it. From the Crime Stoppers. I mean, it was an award for us being awesome, I think. 
right? Wasn't that the official? No, probably not. It's probably it was probably more official sounding than that. But thank you very much. Uh, Union County Crime Stoppers doing great work. We will talk with uh, some folks from uh, Union County in the third hour of the program. But that's where I am, broadcasting live here, and Brett Winterbull will be following uh, me from the site here as well. All righty, so the Gallup polling organization uh, put out a couple of surveys recently. First off, it found uh, out of a survey of 10,000 adults, 45% identified as Republican, 44% as Democrat, and that is the first time the GOP has held a lead since 1991. In a related survey... They found that politically, Americans identify themselves as moderate conservative. 47% of adults said moderate. And remember what Rush would always talk about, the mushy middle. <laughs> right? I, don't believe, I don't believe in this moderate. I, maybe there's a percentage of them that swing. And they'll go yes or, you know, yes or no, depending on if the candidate is Donald Trump or not. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, but not really, kind of, like, really. But th- I know that they're going to swing around, mushy middle, peer pressure, and all of that. But I suspect that a lot of the, quote, moderates are actually left. They just don't want to identify as such. Uh, so there's that. And then, uh, so you got uh, 47% identify as moderate, 30% identify as conservative, 21% identify as liberal. That survey also reveals that the Democrats are more liberal than ever. After hovering near 50% in recent years, the percentage of Democrats who identify as politically liberal rose four percentage points. That's now 54%. That is a new high for the group. Okay, so when you're just looking at those self-identifying Democrats, more of them are identifying as liberal Democrats now than ever before. What does this mean? Well, let us apply the same lens, uh, the same media narrative that uh, applies to the right. It tells me that Democrats are out of step with the rest of the country. Right? Because if the rest of the country is conservative, moderate, and 54% of Democrats identify as very liberal, well, then that tells me they're out of step with the rest of the country, no? Let's look at North Carolina. Earlier this month, over at the John Locke Foundation, our friend Andy Jackson, Dr. Jackson, he he crunches these numbers based on uh, voter registration, party registration numbers, and he looks at the changes. Now, keep in mind, uh, every two years or so, I think it is, I think it's every two years, the Board of Elections does the list maintenance, voter roll maintenance. So if you haven't voted in several uh, presidential elections in a row, they start wiping you off the rolls. So the numbers change a lot, but... Here are the party registration changes so far for 2022. Okay, so the, the maintenance has begun now after the last election, but this is for 2022. Democrats increased 10,000 voters. They now stand at 2.5 million. Republicans increased 54,000. So Democrats went up 10, Republicans went up 54, almost 55,000. So five times the number. The GOP is now at 2.2 million. Democrats are at 2.5 million. The number one registration category, though, is still unaffiliated. They overtook the Democrats uh, last year or so, and they are now at 2.66 million. Libertarians? Oh, they got some work to do. Uh, they, uh, yeah, they. I mean, they did grow. They, they picked up almost 2,900, um, and so they now stand at 
50,792. Uh, the Green Party, uh, they got officially recognized right after Democrats uh, uh, tried to block them from the ballot because they were afraid they were, that the candidate for the U.S. Senate was going to harm Sherry Beasley. And... Um, they got officially recognized again, so they went out, they got the signatures, they got on the ballot, and they're now a party again. And so they're building from zero, and uh, they're, they're on their way. I mean, I would not call them a juggernaut. And they picked up 625 registrations. So they're on their way, 625. That's pretty good. County elections boards across North Carolina actually uh, are in the process of doing their list maintenance, and uh, that means they're removing the inactive voters. Right, it's done every two years in odd-numbered years. Hundreds of thousands of registrations are going to be removed over the next few weeks. And if you look back for sort of a, a gauge as to where uh, we could see ourselves now, in 2021, the last time they did this, there was a net decline of about 125,000 Democrats and about 64,000 Republicans. So like a two-to-one ratio. What does all of this mean? So, Republicans have outgained Democrats in the registrations in 2022. And, by the way, they've been outpacing them every year since 2008. Since 2008, Republicans have been outpacing, uh, outpacing Democrats in registration numbers. Or, they've been losing fewer than Democrats in years where they've done the list maintenance. Now, it can change, but they are on pace to overtake Democrats if all these trends continue, Dr. Jackson says, North Carolina Republicans, Democrats, by 2029. But, I mean, it, it's possible. Like, it could happen. It's like, you know, six years away or so. But it could still happen. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, they're not going to be the number one party or the number one registration classification. That's still going to be unaffiliated. But as far as being the larger party... That hasn't happened. I don't believe it's ever happened, actually. Going back to, like, the founding of the state, I don't believe the Republicans have ever had a majority by registration. Now, I mean, part of that is because, you know, registering as a Republican 100, 150 years ago, like, would literally get you killed uh, by the Democrat red shirts and stuff. But, um, no, times have changed, and so now uh, you, you don't have to risk getting murdered by roving bands of Klansmen, so uh, that's good. That's a look, that's a, that's progress. Jared Lowry, he had his work cut out for him in North Carolina. He was running as a Republican in a Democrat-controlled legislative district. It was dominated, this district is dominated by the Lumbee tribe of North Carolina. That doesn't hurt, he's a tribal member himself. But Mr. Lowry, 34 years old, he made history by flipping the House Legislative District that was long held by Democrats. He will become the first American Indian Republican to serve in the state legislature now that it is convening. That is a milestone in the GOP's push to elect more women and minority candidates to the state houses. The Washington Times report by Valerie Richardson. This was back in December. See, I've been sitting on this story like a Biden on classified documents. I just sit on this stuff for just for just this moment. And then it weaves in with the latest Gallup numbers and stuff. Don't do not attempt this at home. I'm a professional. Okay. Republican state legis uh, sorry, Republican State Leadership Committee, the RSLC, invested five point three million dollars in its right leaders network, the RLN. 
that initiative for recruiting, uh, for training, and uh, trying to get elected diverse candidates, it saw results last year in November. 769 Republican women and minority candidates won their state legislative races. That is 51% of those who ran. That is, that, that is a big deal. Because once this lock gets broken, Democrats are in serious trouble. They're in real trouble. Real trouble. They are becoming, the Democratic Party is becoming a party uh, of essentially like wealthy, single white women. <laughs> and, and I'm not kidding. This is like, I have it. The rise of the single, woke, young Democratic female at Real Clear Investigations. Right? This is the core of their constituency along with African-American voters. And once the Republicans pick this lock on getting more diverse candidates, I said it for years, Democrats are not going to win national elections. They're going to have to figure out another formula. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I'm Pete Callender, And I'm here at the uh, 31st Annual Union County Crime Stoppers Barbecue. Uh, the uh, the event is going on uh, inside the uh, the main area there. The food is being served and eaten, uh, and I'm out here talking politics. But uh, <laughs> oh, but this is important stuff because I mean, look, Union County is sort of a poster child for this very phenomenon. It's it's it has seen uh, development. It has seen a migration of people out of. Uh, Charlotte area out of Mecklenburg County, but also from other areas of America, they have come down here. In fact, I just met a fella. He's a big-time BT listener, and he's from Jersey. I told him I didn't hold that against him. I'm from New York. It's okay. But this is where people are coming, and I know a lot of people are worried that a lot of the blue state folks are coming here, and they're bringing their blue state politics, but the registration numbers that I just went over from Andy Jackson at the John Locke Foundation doesn't appear that that's the case. Seems like a lot of people are coming down here and registering as uh, Republicans, who, by the way, they have long argued that their conservative stances and values align better with those of recent immigrants than those of the Democratic Party platform. But making inroads with minority voters has been a challenge, according to this piece at the Washington Times by Valerie Richardson, who talks about Jared Lowry winning a state legislative seat. He's a Lumbee tribal member, and he flipped a Democrat district in North Carolina, and he's a 34-year-old Republican. And there, there been a, there's a, a surge of... Uh, Republican minority candidates who have been winning state legislative races. And this is important, by the way, because this is sort of like your farm team, right? You you move up from the state legislative races. You could run for statewide offices. You could run for Congress or whatever. It, you, you start building your reputation and you start building your network of supporters and donors. Um, you also have the ability to you know get stuff done and then run on those achievements. So what do we see happening? I would submit... What we are seeing is, and it also ties into the registration numbers that we're seeing nationally and the way people are identifying now more Republican than Democrat in America, which is a preference cascade. Right, a preference cascade. Where the initial pioneer, right, they take all of the... Can I say that? Is that an... 
That, is that a problematic analogy? Am I allowed to say that? They take the arrows, the pine? Okay. Right, they, so they have a lot of obstacles. The trailblazer, right, they, they have to deal with a lot more obstacles. But the whole point is you're blazing the trail. You're clearing it out. You're putting the blazes on the tree so people can follow you. And then once that first follower follows, and then the second one, and then it becomes a cascade effect. The preference cascade. Everybody now realizes, oh, that's what I wanted. Oh, yeah, that's it. Oh, I'm totally on board, a.k.a. bandwagon, right? And what Lowry says is, look, a lot of people who look like me, you know, are now part of this party. And, and whereas they looked like him and they were part of the Democratic Party. And so when you look around and you see people that look like you, he says this is going to be more of a, an enticement. He said most Lumbee Indians are conservative when it comes to social and economic issues, including his grandma, who was a staunch fan of Ronald Reagan. Even so, breaking the Democratic lock on voter loyalty has taken time. He said the party as a whole has made a really good conscious effort in the Lumbee community. And I'm very, very proud of it because I've been a Republican since I was 18. And I remember when we couldn't get over 30% of the vote. In South Carolina, Fawn Petalino was the first American Indian woman elected to the state legislature there as well. So what's happening over on the Democratic side of this equation? Well, you've got unmarried women without children moving more and more to the Democratic Party. This has been happening for several years. And the last midterms may have been their electoral coming out party as they proved the chief break on the predicted Republican wave. This is a piece at Real Clear RealClearInvestigations.com. It's very lengthy. It's by Joel Kotkin, who is the uh, presidential Fellow in Urban Futures at Chapman University. Uh, he's also the Executive Director of the Urban Reform Institute, and he uh, co-authored the piece with Samuel J. Abrams, who is a professor of politics at Sarah Lawrence College and a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He says, while uh, they write, that while married men and women, as well as unmarried men, broke for the GOP, CNN exit polls found that 68% of unmarried women voted for Democrats. Married men, married women, unmarried men, all broke GOP. Unmarried women went Democrat. The Supreme Court's August decision overturning Roe v. Wade was certainly a special factor in the midterms. But longer-term trends show that single, childless women are joining African Americans as the Democrats' most reliable supporters. Their power is growing thanks to the demographic wins. The number of never married women has grown in American society. The number of never married women has grown from about 20% to more than 30% since 1950. The Pew Research Center notes that since 1960, single person households in the United States have grown from 13% to 27%. So it's doubled since 1960. Single person households. Which, by the way, that got me thinking. I wonder, does that have anything to do with the housing crunch? Is it possible that we need more houses because we've seen more single ho- single member households? So, right, like in the past, you would just, two people, one house. Now, two people, two houses. I don't know, I've seen no connection there. Pew Research uh, survey also found 61% of single men say they are currently looking for a relationship or dates. 61% of single guys looking. 
Single women, not so much. Only 38% of them are looking for a relationship or dates. What does this mean? Who might they turn to for more security? We'll get into that up next.